Happy Easter, church family. Good morning to you. Uh, As I saw different ones of you earlier, and as I look around now, there may be a little bit of confusion. There might be a little bit of commotion created. I just want to assure you, it's me, Derek. What's confusing you is I'm wearing a tie. Yeah, okay. (laughs) That was... Oh, man. For some, my stock just went up. In my own eyes, my stock might have gone down. No, 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 no. No, definitely having some fun with it. It's Easter. I put on a tie. That's exciting, right? But uh, I know it's a shock, but I'm thankful that Faith Church is a place where we are all welcomed in love, even when I wear a tie. (laughs) Uh, All right. Well, Jesus is risen. There's so much to celebrate together, isn't there? So much to celebrate together today. It's good to be together to do that. Um, And here's actually where I wanted to start. This week, um, I was reminded about this, and I thought this might be helpful for some of you as well. This week, I was reminded, encouraged, to fight the familiarity of Easter. To fight the familiarity. If this is is somewhat um, familiar to you, If it's not, that's fine too. But if this is somewhat familiar to you, celebrating, gathering, Easter, Jesus is risen, he's alive, ham dinner later maybe. If this is familiar, we want to fight the familiarity. We want to fight the familiarity that that would lead us to think just, well, mm, this is just, oh, mm, 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 okay. We want to fight the familiarity with, with the gospel, The gospel is the spectacular good news that God doesn't leave us where we are, stuck in our sin, but that we have a God who rescues us, who comes to us through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and makes it possible for us to be with him, adopted into his family. Can we fight the familiarity of the gospel this morning? If that's familiar good news, let's not let it be so familiar that it becomes... hmm. And, and if the resurrection is familiar, if the empty tomb is an is a, is a idea or a, or a truth that you've considered for many, many years, let's fight the familiarity. We need the reality of the resurrection. We need the good news of the gospel all day, every day. Can I get an amen? amen. We need to fight the familiarity because we need the resurrection. We need the gospel every day. That's why we gather every Sunday because we need each other, because we need to care for each other, because we need to point each other to Jesus. And so this is uh, an opportunity to do that. If you have your Bible and you want to open it and follow along that way, you are welcome to. You're going to want to turn to Matthew chapter 7. If you don't have a Bible, it's okay. I'm going to put some of the verses on the screen as we go as well. But if you have a Bible and you want to follow along, turn to Matthew chapter 7. And I'm already remembering one of the downsides of doing this. I've barely gotten started and I'm getting warm up here. Lewis, oh, I can do that? No, if I do, well, maybe later. Maybe if I really get going, I'll loosen the top button and... Just destroy all this, these points that I got from some of you. It's better that than sweating out of this, though, isn't it? Better rolling up my sleeve than sweating, sweating out of this. Okay. 
We're going to be in Matthew chapter 7 because for many weeks we have been in a series of teaching messages through what is referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is one of Jesus' most famous teachings, the Sermon on the Mount, is found in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And we've been going through this passage by passage, and today is the conclusion of our Kingdom Life series, the conclusion of Jesus teaching us through the Sermon on the Mount. And so I want to start this. Before we get to our passage that we're going to study together uh, at the end of the sermon, I want to point this out as we pointed this out maybe back toward the beginning of this series. The Sermon on the Mount begins and ends making a point of Jesus' authority. The Sermon on the Mount begins and ends with with making a point of Jesus' authority. And the way that it does that is at the beginning of the sermon, at the beginning of chapter 5, we find that Jesus goes up a mountain, symbolic of authority, that he sits down to teach his disciples. And at the time, sitting down to teach his followers was a position of authority. And then we come now to the end of chapter 7, and we have these bookends of the Sermon on the Mount that make a point out of Jesus' authority. And chapter 7 ends like this. Look with me at the end of chapter 7, verse 28 and following. When Jesus finished these sayings, when he completed the sermon, when he had done all this teaching that we have taken weeks and weeks to study, although when we read the whole Sermon on the Mount together all at once, it took 15 minutes. So when Jesus completed these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, it says. For he was teaching them as one who had what? Authority. Not not as one of their scribes, these other human teachers they had experienced. He was teaching them as one who had authority. And of all days to consider where that authority comes from. Let me say this. He is risen. If there's any day to consider where the authority of Jesus' words come from, the man died and was buried and is alive again. He is God's son. Yes, he is fully man, fully human, created in our image to experience life and to represent us. But he is alive again because he is God the son raised from the dead. He lived. We sang it. He came. He died. He rose. And we get to celebrate that. Ooh, am I like echoing? That's awesome. <laughs> I asked the guys one time if they could make me sound like James Earl Jones, and so far they have not been able to do that. But if I echo, I mean, maybe that'll, be, that'll have the effect. Okay. <laughs> I got so distracted there. Okay. Distracted myself. I distracted. Um, okay. So there's where the authority comes from. Now, when, when, the word, when the idea of authority comes up, what happens with us sometimes? I think what, what happens with us if we're honest in our humanity, when we think about authority outside of us, we might bristle. We might kind of go, hmm, authority? Authority over me? We might bristle because really, if we're honest, we prefer to be king or queen of our own kingdom. If we're honest, we go about our earthly life building our kingdom of one instead of 
instead of being okay with the idea of submitting to authority outside of ourselves. And, and, and why is that? I think, unfortunately, we, when we think about authority, we think about something that is going to squelch our freedom. That, that if we submit to an outside authority, it's going to somehow reduce or squelch our freedom when actually, church family, what I want you to consider this morning is that submitting to Christ... Finding Jesus as ultimate authority, recognizing that this is our God, King Jesus, leads to freedom, brings freedom, brings true life now and forever. And so it's not uh, squelching our authority or squelching our freedom, but leading to freedom. God sent his son to rescue us from ourselves and to give us life. So we're in this series of messages that we've called Kingdom Life. We want to ask God to help us live kingdom lives. Why why are we talking about living a kingdom life? Because throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is proclaiming what it's like to live in the kingdom of God. He is teaching us what a kingdom life looks like. Well, why would we live a kingdom life? Because Jesus is king and he is reigning over all things because his kingdom is at hand. It is here now and it is unfolding and he has authority as, as, as God himself reigning from the right hand of God. If If he then is teaching us what it's like to live in the kingdom, we have this opportunity to learn what it's like to live as citizens of the kingdom. We can't be, I'll say it this way, Jesus can't be king of our lives if we are. We can't live in God's kingdom if we put all our energy into building our own kingdom. So, Let's look now at the passage of scripture that we want to study together. Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 and following. And if you have a Bible, you can follow along. If you don't, it's okay. Just listen for now. And then as I go back, we'll have the verses on the screen. But for now, just listen with me. Jesus speaking with authority. Jesus speaking with astonishing authority. Jesus speaking with authority that we've never heard the likes of. He says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. So let's take a closer look now at those verses, and I'm going to go in a... I'm going to go kind of out of order, so follow along, and the verses will be on the screen. But I actually want us to take, first take a closer look at the end of that passage, back at, or starting at verse 26. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Let's fight the familiarity, Okay. 
If this story also ranks among the familiar for some of you, let's fight the familiarity because we could read it and go, yeah, 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 I know what it means. Or we could ask God to to dig into our hearts a little bit this morning and take a look at the story that Jesus is telling and, and dig underneath to find out its meaning and what God has for us this morning. There's two homes. There's Jesus' example talks about two different homes and uh, two different houses. And uh, one is built on the sand and one's on the rock. But when you look at the two houses, they may look very similar. They they may both have a door. They may have windows. They got the nice curtains in the the windows. They got the same roof. On the outside, looking at these two houses, they may appear the same. And so in this story, Jesus is representing two different spiritual lives, the lives of two different people, that these two different houses represent then two different lives, two different spiritual lives. And what, like the houses, maybe they look pretty similar on the outside. They're both people. And maybe even things about their spiritual life, their life with God, their interest in walking with God, maybe even some of that looks pretty similar, these two lives, these two spiritual lives. They look pretty similar on the outside. They go to the same church, maybe. They sing the same songs, maybe. Maybe they say the same kinds of Christian things. But what is the passage teaching us? That the fool put his home on top of shifting sand. And that the wise person dug down to the bedrock and and built his house on a foundation on the bedrock. And so... As we know, as we continue to think about this story, one of these foundations will disappear. One of these foundations won't amount to much. And one is solid. And one is the rock. And one's not going anywhere. And this is Jesus repeatedly in the Sermon on the Mount. Repeatedly in the Sermon on the Mount, as Jesus teaches us what it looks like to live in the kingdom, in a sense, Jesus is really repeatedly saying, you're either with me or you're against me. You're going to live for the kingdom of God or you're going to live for self. You're going to live the way that honors and glorifies me or you're going to do your own thing and go your own way. He's repeatedly kind of drawing this line saying that you're with me or against me. And here in this passage... Here in this passage, Jesus draws the line between himself and any other foundation. He's saying he's the rock. And he's drawing a line, and and, and as he ends the sermon, as he's taught about the kingdom of God, as he's taught about what it looks like to live as citizens of the kingdom, he gets to the end of the, the sermon, and he's drawing a line between himself and any other foundation. Are we hoping, what are we hoping in? What are you building on? What am I building on? Are we hoping in the unstable foundation of of shallow, superficial, religious behavior and language and appearances on the outside? Or are we building on the rock good news of the gospel, the gospel that proclaims the spectacular news that God rescues sinners like you and me through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus? Is our life built on shaky, superficial, fading away, meaningless, routine, and, and, and whatever we choose? Or are we building on the perfect life, substitutionary death, and victorious resurrection from the dead of Jesus? 
How many of you had pancakes earlier this morning? We had, there were some pancakes over in the community center. I know many of you got a chance to have those for breakfast before. Um, sometimes you may have heard it said that breakfast is, is what? Have you heard a phrase, breakfast is the most important meal of the day? So I don't know, you know, okay, let's set aside the like health reality of that. I'm not sure, you know, whatever, okay? We've heard this phrase that breakfast is the most important meal of the day. In other words, they're trying to make the point that breakfast is the foundation of your day. See what I did there? <laughs> that was bad, right? That was bad. But so they're trying to make the statement that, that, that breakfast is kind of the foundation of our day. And so on one hand, I'd love to, I do, I, on one hand, I really want to thank the team, many, many people making it possible to serve us breakfast this morning. Appreciate them. Yep. So if they provided you with a foundation for your day and a great start for your Easter, I'm appreciative of them. But if you're barely going to make it through the Easter message because you're in a sugar coma, then I'm not so sure about the foundation that they set for you. No, I love, the, I love them anyway. I appreciate them serving. I'm just teasing. All right, so let's keep going. Verse 27. So what happens when Jesus talks at the end of the passage? He says, someone that does not do what I say is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And then verse 27 comes. And the rain fell. And the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Throughout the scriptures, the the storm is often symbolic of God's final future judgment. In many places in scripture, including this one, one thing we can take from the storm coming is God's impending judgment about our lives and the way that we live and who we live for. When it comes to who is king of my life, when it comes to who is king or queen of your life, when it comes to whose kingdom you are building, kingdom of one, or learning to live as a citizen of God's kingdom, when it comes to those things, church family, there are eternal ramifications. So do you know Jesus? Have you entrusted your life to Jesus? Have you recognized that you can't do it on your own? Have you come to the end of yourself and put your hope in Jesus? Put your trust in him? Is Jesus the rock foundation? And in this passage, yes, yes, storms would definitely allude to the coming judgment of God, But certainly also something else we would relate to is that the storms in the scriptures can often be symbolic of the difficulties of life as well. And and so whether we're talking about God's coming judgment or we're talking about the fact that life is difficult, anybody, anybody have life difficulty occasionally? Are we up for facing either of those alone? Are we ready for and up for facing God's imposed impending judgment alone? Are we, are we, how are we doing facing life's difficulties alone? Now, I know I did it in a funny order, but now we're back to the beginning of the passage, verse 24. So back up to Matthew 7, verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words, Jesus says, of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the what? On the rock. 
He says, build on me. Build on what I say. And, and I want to be really clear here because this is so often misunderstood and taken the wrong way and then, and then it just hurts all kinds of feelings and it messes things up. Let me make it clear that we are talking here about obedience, but we are not talking about obedience in order, to, in order to earn salvation. It is not about how good of a job you do at following all of Jesus' rules that gets you into heaven. It's not about obedience for salvation. It's not about obedience, and if I'm not perfect, then God's not going to rescue me from sin and death. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about here is Jesus says, do what I say. And you know what it is? We do what he says because he saved us. If you're a follower of Jesus and he has rescued you from sin and death, then you obey him because you love him and that you know he knows best. Are you with me? You don't have to obey and match up and do a religious checklist and hope you've done enough for God to rescue you. But once he has taken you out of death and into the light, you will want to obey because he is good. So we started talking a few minutes ago about authority. Why, why should we recognize Jesus' authority in our lives? Why should we serve and obey him? I mean, yeah, why? Why should we look to Jesus as authority? Why do we serve and obey him? I mean, I'd, I'd flip it around for a second and go, well, how's it going being my own authority? How's it going for me living for number one all the time? Being more concerned with comfort and convenience and what works for me and my agendas and the foundation of life that I want to build on, how's that going if I'm honest with myself? How's it going if I'm building on things that don't hold up in the long run? If I'm putting time and energy and passion into people and things and of our world and of fads and of trends and of people or places that will let me down, how's it going building my life on those things? How's it going depending on my own strength? I know I look really huge and ripped and stuff. I rolled up my sleeves and I didn't mean to intimidate anybody, but I, but I can't do it on my own. I'm strong, but not that strong. <laughs> There's some things that you don't plan to say that you probably just shouldn't say. <laughs> Amen. Amen. There is grace and forgiveness. <laughs> but the point is, is that I'm not, I'm not strong enough. I don't have it all together. I can't do it on my own strength. And you know what I love about my church family here at Faith Church is I think we're aware of that. I look around and I look at my church family and I look at my experience of being able to be honest with you that I haven't arrived yet, that I don't, that I fall short of what God wants from me. And I find people that are okay with it, that love me anyway. And I look around and I also know that our church family is full of hurting and broken sinful, rebellious, that life is hard on you, and that some of the things you're doing isn't making it any easier. This is a, this is a place full of that. 
This is not a place where religious people come together to pretend we got it all together. Faith Church is a family of people who need Jesus. And so we get together, so we know each other, so that we can love each other, and so that we can point each other to Jesus because we need Jesus. So when we think about authority, and we think about um, the Sermon on the Mount, especially if you've had a chance to study the Sermon on the Mount with us, and we've taken some tough shots in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has tackled some difficult topics, and Jesus' ways are a lot different than the ways that we might prefer. And so I don't know if you relate to that, but I mean, I think if we're trying to, if we've, if we've sat under Jesus' teaching and we've absorbed this Sermon on the Mount and we've thought, man, how can I live up to this? This is tough. This is overwhelming. I'm not sure I can live the life of a kingdom citizen. It reminds me of another time in scriptures where Jesus' teaching was difficult. In John chapter 6, um, Jesus' disciples had just, Jesus had just finished teaching and it was difficult teaching and, it, and they were confused and, and, the, and the teaching was hard. And so here's what we see in John chapter 6. After this teaching, many of Jesus' followers turned back and no longer followed him. So Jesus turned to the 12, to his closest disciples, to his friends, and said, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Wisdom, this passage in Matthew 7 is teaching us that wisdom is building a life on Jesus. That no matter what is swirling around you, church family, no matter what is swirling around, Jesus is the only rock. A wise person recognizes the shifting sands in your, in your world and, and around you. And you think about what's going on in your, in your life and in your uh, places you are and the people you're around. A wise person recognizes the shifting sands of cultural trends and religious fads and peer pressure, and they build their life on the rock of Jesus instead. Look again at verse 24. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Jesus can't be king of our life if we are. And we can't live in God's kingdom if we're too busy building our own. And we can't build our life on the foundation of Jesus if we're too busy building our life on other things. So anytime we get into God's word, we need to allow God's word to examine our hearts. Who do you follow? Who do I follow? Who are we influenced by? What things take God's place in our lives? What rules our life? What dominates our time and energy more than we'd like to admit? What is your life built on? And will it last?
What is the foundation of your life? And does the foundation that you are building on address your deepest needs, including your eternal salvation, being made right with God, and having life with him now and forever? Does your foundation address your deepest needs? Now, verse 25. Verse 25 comes, okay, there's 24 on the top of the screen. Remember, everyone who does what Jesus says is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. Now, listen, what comes next? I'm sure I follow Jesus. I build my life on him. So everything is going to be awesome. He's going to give me everything I need. And it's going to go smoothly from here on out. It's awesome. I built my house on the rock that is Jesus. And so we get to verse 25. And the rain fell. And the floods came. And the winds blew and beat on that house. Wait, am I reading the right part? It's not the way I would have written it. I wish I could tell you that putting your life in Jesus' hands meant that everything was going to go real smooth. But this, these verses on the screen show us that everybody who hears Jesus' words and does them is like a wise man who is building their house on the rock. And then what still happens is the storm still comes. The winds blew, the floods came, the rain fell. Life is still hard. Even as followers of Jesus... Even as those who have entrusted ourselves to Jesus, life is still difficult. But we're on the rock. But we're on the rock while the storm is going on around us. And this is, I don't say this lightly. My life is forever changed because of Jesus. Not because my life is forever changed, it's for the easier and more comfortable. My life is forever changed because of Jesus, because when the storms come, I'm on the rock, and he's with me. That's what's made a difference in my life. That the storm still comes, but you're not alone. That the winds swirl and beat on that house, but Jesus walks with you. And cares for you and sees you and hears you. Speaking of life being hard and things being hard, and one thing we want to do is be able to pray for you. And so there's a back in the back corner of the room is our prayer wall. And anytime you're around here on a, on a Sunday morning, before, after, while we're singing, on your way out. Feel free to stop at the little table over there by the wall. Write down your prayer request. It can be anonymous, or you can put your name, and our ministry team is going to pray for you this week. So you fill it out on a piece of paper, and you put the piece of paper in the wall there like the other prayer requests are. We would love to pray for you and support you in the difficulties of life and in the rejoicing parts of life, too. We'll pray for that, too. 
Because the gospel is the spectacularly good news that God rescues sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And so where are we finishing today? Where are we finishing? That's where we're finishing today. As we wrap up today, the gospel is spectacular news that God doesn't leave us stuck in our sin, but that he has made a way for us to know him and to be saved and to be brought into his family. Yes, today is Easter. Yes, we think about the resurrection. Yes, we don't want to be, have that be too familiar. This is the day that we celebrate that Jesus is alive. But, but the resurrection is applicable all day, every day. And the good news of the gospel is applicable all day, every day. Because it tells us how much God loves us. That God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Because of the gospel, we know of God's great love. We know of his mercy. We know of his grace. We know of he forgives sin. And we know that he brings life. Real, true, meaningful, abundant life now. And life eternal with him. And you, you can receive God's free gift of salvation by putting your trust in Jesus, by realizing that the foundation you are building isn't going to last. And so we build our life on the rock by turning to him and entrusting our life to him, surrendering our heart and mind and will to him. He lived, he died, he rose, and he loves you. Let's stand. I'm going to have us read something together. And then we're going to have a chance to worship through music. But now that we're standing and we're getting our prepared to pray and then to sing, let me have us read this uh, together. It's Psalm 18, verse 2. And this would certainly be our prayer that this would be true for your heart. Let's read it out loud together. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your love for us. And we are so thankful for an opportunity to be together as a church family and to be celebrating that Jesus is alive. Father in heaven, thank you for that love we just talked about, that you showed us your deep love for us by sending your son who was, lived the life that we cannot live, who died the death that we deserve. Thank you, Father, that Jesus willingly died so that we can live. And because Jesus is risen, because he is alive and active and reigning at your right hand, Father in heaven, we recognize Jesus as your son. We recognize Jesus as God himself. We recognize Jesus as our rescuer who conquered sin and conquered death, who bore the cross, beat the grave, bringing about our forgiveness, bringing about our rescue, making us right with God and bringing us into your family, Father. So we... As we continue in worship this morning, we confess that our tendency is to live for ourselves. We tend to build a kingdom of one. We tend to found our lives on so many things other than you. But your resurrection power, the power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in us. Your resurrection power has not only saved us from sin and death, but is transforming us from the inside out, making us into new people. So God, we pray that you would help us to live for you. God, I pray that it would be true for each person 
that our lives would be built on the rock, that you would teach us to live kingdom lives, living for your glory in all that we do and say. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.